Good morning. Good morning. I hope you guys got some good sleep. Uh, I know uh, if you're like me, you like to wake up early in the morning and get a lot of things done. And then soon enough, you find out you're still in the quarantine. So you've checked your email twice. You've gotten on Facebook. You've got on YouTube. You looked up DIY, like do it yourself, build your bunkers or something like that. You're trying to just keep yourself at task. It seems like that's what I do. I keep myself busy. I keep myself moving. Uh, but uh, if you're new, my name is John and uh, welcome to Hill City Online and just uh, super glad you're here. I know that we're all just in this together right now. We're all forced uh, to figure things out in this new kind of normal for all of us. And uh, and maybe this morning uh, you're here and you just need a, a word of hope. I, I believe that the gospel, the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is always hope for our hearts and it sets us free and uh, that's what I want to deliver today Uh, but honestly this is such an unprecedented moment it's just like there is it's just been an interesting moment for all of us right there's so much unknown on the horizon with our jobs and finances with with school you know it's I know for many of us school has been pushed all the way to the end it's like it, it has been done semester is over you are teacher now and uh, or our health, you know, there's these things that uh, bring this like this, I don't know, this underlying um, uh, sense of anxiety because we have lost much of our uh, our control like and we're being directed we're being directed uh to stay in our homes we're being told what to do and how much toilet paper to buy and how how to wash your hands and they tell you to not wear a mask and to wear a mask and and it's hard for me at least uh, it is it's it's hard for me to be constantly like you got to do this you got to do that you got to do this and uh and i can be a naturally little paranoid but uh, that's that's the moment we're in. Yet, it was this kind of emotional, uh, cultural, and historical moment, and this was the landscape that Jesus taught in. And his words, when he said, uh, he when he said, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest." He's speaking in this kind of moment, right? When he says, "Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged," and when the Bible says, "The Lord is with you wherever you go," it was not during these easy times, but yet turbulent times. Seventy-five years of Roman rule was going on. And, and it was, there was much infighting and brutality, and Julius Caesar was murdered, and so there was, there was civil wars, multiple, going on, a disruption to life. Octavian and Anthony, here's some historical background, were, uh, once, who were once allies are now fighting for the seat of Rome. And so this, in this civil war, there's no Captain America to save them, right? In the Battle of Actium, it ends up that Octavian beats Anthony and pushes him back into Egypt. And there, Anthony and Cleopatra, uh, they, uh, they, uh, they pretty much they, they end their lives there uh, in a very like Shakespearean moment. And this is the moment that Jesus is teaching in. So when we read his words, it wasn't the best of times. It wasn't the time of peace. And so... Uh, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. I'm going to read some stuff for you. But uh, before we get there, I want to give you some background. Jesus, before he goes into Jerusalem, 
and heads for the cross. He, he visits his friends, uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and, 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 and that's two miles east of Jerusalem. And here uh, we know that Mary pours her expensive perfume on Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair as Judas gets mad due to the value of the item that's being poured out. And he justifies himself by saying this would have been useful. Say the word useful. Yeah, even if you're alone in your car, right? This would have been useful to help the poor. He wanted to justify himself. And of course, we know that wasn't the truth of his heart. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to start reading right here. The next day, the great crowd, say crowd. The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's saying this guy is fulfilling prophecy. Blessed is the king of Israel. Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it was written. Do not be afraid, daughters of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done to him, right? Skip to verse 23. We're going to go to 23. I think this is it. Here we go. There we go. Jesus replied to his disciples, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 24, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Anyone who, loses, uh, who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. My father will honor the one who serves me. So Jesus is doing three things here that I want to talk to you about today. And uh, he's doing three things right here. He's deconstructing kings and kingdoms. Number two, he's deconstructing salvation. And number three, he's deconstructing what it means to be a follower. Now, let's begin. I want to begin with kings and kingdoms. Kings and kingdoms. Think about that for a moment. When you think of kings and kingdoms, we might be thinking of, I would normally think of a king, and maybe uh, the Jews were thinking the same way. This king that would come on this war, come into town on this war horse, on a golden chariot with trumpets blaring, with his army of warriors beside him, with weapons of war, right? And prisoners of war that he would be showing them. I could just imagine that, these prisoners of war with him. But in contrast, King Jesus comes on this adolescent donkey, this colt, and, and with no procession, no flash, but in humility. And backing him up are 12 disciples, not this army, right? And he's not bringing prisoners of war. He's coming for prisoners of sin. 
smelling like perfume. This is a very different king that people are seeing. And on this first Palm Sunday, right? The crowd, their, their expectation of Jesus was different than how he came. He, they expected Jesus to overthrow Rome, to come with power, to establish a new Jewish kingdom. Say kingdom again. That's right, kingdom. To start a revolution But King Jesus was doing the exact opposite. He wasn't taking lives. He was giving his life. And he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the floor and falls and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it will produce many seeds. This is the great reversal of kingdom values that Jesus is bringing. Jesus, though he was rich, became poor. Though he was king, he served. Though he was the greatest, he made himself the least, the servant of all. He triumphed over sin, not by taking up power, but by serving sacrificially. He won by losing everything. Think about that. In the book Encounters with Jesus by Tim Keller, he writes... The essence of what makes Christianity different from every other religion and form and a form of thought is this. Every other religion says if you want to find God, if you want to improve yourself, if you want to have a higher consciousness, if you want to connect with the divine, however it's defined, you have to do something. Gather your strength. Keep all the rules. Free your mind. Fill your mind. Every other religion of, or human philosophy says if you want to make the world right or yourself right, you got to do something. But Christianity says the exact opposite. Christianity says, no, Jesus Christ came to do something for you, what you couldn't do for yourself. Christianity says Jesus is the answer to them all. So many systems of thought appeal to the strong, successful people because they play directly into their beliefs. If you're strong and hardworking enough, you will prevail. But Christianity is not just for the strong. It's for everyone especially for people who admit that where it really counts, they're weak. For people with the strength to admit that their flaws are not just superficial, their heart is deeply disordered, and they are incapable of rectifying themselves. It is for those who can see that they need a Savior, that they need Jesus Christ dying on a cross to put them right with God. Listen, listen. That is kingdom values of Christianity. And like Jesus, it is in direct opposition with the kingdom of Rome, with the kingdom of the United States, and with the kingdom of Thornton, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, metro area, our lives. So I want you to rethink what Jesus is asking you to be a part of. To count the cost of what he's asking you to be a part of. In this time of maybe chaos, in this time of quarantine, what does this mean for you today, for his king and his kingdom? Number two, deconstructing salvation. See, the crowd, they were, they were shouting the word, Hosanna. 
Hosanna, save us, deliver us. It means salvation, right? From Rome and their enemies waving palm branches, which th- that's what they would do for the king, right? Just imagine these palm branches and all over Middle Eastern coins and culture, you'll see palm branches representing kingdom. It represents power. It represents celebration, right? Jesus, in this moment, entering into Jerusalem, is getting this hero's welcome. Yet Jesus is not trying to save them from life, rather to save them into life. He's not trying to save us, me and you, from life. He's trying to save us into life. Think about that for a moment. Salvation is your entry and not your exit. Salvation is much more than a ticket to heaven. Yes, heaven is monumental and we must put it on the forefront of our minds and and the way we live our lives. Yet, I don't want you to miss this. Salvation is an awakening of a soul to the God realities now. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than my forgiveness and my blessing and my healing. Salvation is an invitation to God's kingdom and purpose now. Now. To continue what Jesus has started. Into every part of your world and my world. That's what salvation does. From online church that we're doing today to your quarantine homes and family, salvation is there too. To your neighborhoods, to your workplaces, to King Supers, to the gas station, wherever you might go. Isaiah 61, 1-2 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. So we got to tell them about the time of of, of, of the Lord has come, but we cannot forget about the future. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go is God's salvation. Everywhere you go, you are the church. You are this, this kingdom of God. And, 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 and it's the worship of God. Everywhere you go, you are the messenger of this good news to the poor, to the broken, to the prisoners. And yes, that Jesus is real freedom for the captives. Trapped by sin, trapped literally by addiction, by abuse, prisoners, kids in the foster care system, and people in abusive relationships, people in depression and isolation and fear, your salvation and your real life, where you place your hopes, where you find purpose and strength, cannot be disconnected. Salvation is not the end, but the entry And finally, number three, deconstructing followers. Deconstructing followers. Crowds and disciples. Say that. Crowds, disciples. What are the difference? Write that below. What is the difference between the crowd and disciples? And and, and, in the book of Matthew, you can write that on, on the Facebook right there. In the comments section. What is the difference between crowds and disciples? Give your thoughts. See, in Matthew, in the, in the account of Jesus, what he writes, he mentions crowds 49 times. And, and pay attention when you read it. 
The crowds come and hear Jesus. The crowds bring sick friends to Jesus. They are, they're amazed by Jesus. They came to Jesus, yet mostly when they had need. And on Palm Sunday, they shouted, Hosanna, save us, deliver us, salvation. Yet by Good Friday, the crowd yelled, crucify him. The crowd saw Jesus as useful, as useful. Yet disciples are mentioned 65 times in Matthew. A disciple is someone who used to be a part of the crowd, but somewhere along the line, they crossed over. They had to be with Jesus. They had to be with him. They were not satisfied with the concert. They needed this backstage to see him. They had to know Jesus, to be with Jesus, because they found Jesus beautiful. They found Jesus beautiful. Listen, Jesus loves the crowd. He's crazy about the crowd. He had compassion on the crowd. Yet crowds and disciples have a profoundly different experience of Jesus. Crowds are amazed at what Jesus said to them. But disciples are amazed at what Jesus did in them. A transformation by being with Jesus. Right? Now at some point, We must all ask ourselves, who are we in the story? Are we the crowd or are we the disciples? Are we merry with the perfume, willing to do whatever it takes to to worship Jesus? Or are we Judas saying, that's not useful, that's not good? Is Jesus good life philosophy or, or good life-changing news that changes everything about us? Is Jesus a good system of life, or is Jesus worth all of life? Is Jesus useful, or is Jesus absolutely beautiful to you and to me? Answering this question fundamentally changes the experience that we will have in Jesus, his teachings, his commands, his invitation, his promise, his spirit, his love, his joy. You, you don't see it as taxing or taking away from your life. You see it as trusting that Jesus, for you, is all of life. So you live differently. You see generosity differently. You see community as something that you don't take from only, but you give to. You, you see your neighbors as people made in the image of God. You see your relationship as a way to make Jesus greater. You see your job as a calling into serving others and letting God be glorified and shine. You even see hard situations as ways. That you can love others greater. That you can stand on the foundation of God and say, I trust you. Jesus is not useful. Jesus is beautiful. So on this Palm Sunday, let us be reminded that we can have joy in moments of hardship. Looking to Jesus who had everything but gave it all to come after you and me. He emptied himself on the cross carrying our sin and shame so that we could be and have the righteousness of God. His acceptance as he put on himself our sins. That is when eternal life truly begins when we say, God, I'm all in. I crossed the line trusting him who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies.
That's a strong statement. Don't let situations or the enemy pull you away from the love and the truth of Jesus. Rather, both in good times and in suffering, we lean in to Jesus, even in the unknown, even in the storm. At some point, we have to cross the line from crowd to disciple. Maybe today you've been walking the line and you know it and you can sense the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, speaking to your soul. And it's time for you to be a disciple, to cross the line. Give him your sins. Give him your fears. Give him your past. Give him your present. Give him your failures. Give him your accomplishment, your talents, your gifts, declaring your commitment to Jesus. If that's you today, I also want you to contact us so we can help you take next steps in your walk of faith. You can email us at info at myhillcity.org. And and our heart is for you to grow in love and in the beauty of Jesus. In this holy week, let's direct our thoughts and our attention towards what matters most. Jesus, our King, who came into Jerusalem to head to the cross. Choose to worship. Be grateful to Jesus. Choose his love, his strength. Celebrate the resurrection and the new life found in Jesus in your homes. Don't make it just another week. Let's get our minds on the right thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray for Hill City Church, Lord God. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, Lord God, because we have crossed over and we are crossing over from the crowd to disciples, Lord God, disciples who have to be with Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I have to be with Jesus. I need to know Jesus, for only Jesus can change my life. I have tried everything, Lord. I've tried everything, and I have found that I need you today. I pray that people would be crossing the line today. Lord, be with our church. And in this moment of this unprecedented moment in our world, I pray that we would draw even closer to you, that we will not forget you, but we will walk towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have prayers uh, for us to pray for, please just put them into the comments below if you're willing to share so that the whole community of people can be praying for you this week, loving you this week, reaching out to you this week. Because it's not something that I could do. It's what we can do. We are the body of Christ. And if you need something that's more personal, you can always contact me directly at john at myhillcity.org. We love you. We thank you. And, uh, and I pray that together we honor God together. God bless you guys. And uh, we'll connect very soon.